Hi, this is Lady C. Welcome to The Critical Thought. In the upcoming episode, I'm going to be doing something a little bit different than we normally do on the channel. I'm going to be interviewing a guest that grew up as one of Seventh-day Adventists. She's going to be talking all about the founder, Ellen White, who is our Charles Taz Russell, and talking about some of the things that she encountered growing up as a child, and just helping us to appreciate that no... Jehovah's Witnesses are not the only cult in town. And not only that, but everyone knows that we all come off the same tree from back in the day. It's just the difference is that Charles Taz Russell went in one direction and Ellen G. White took a different path. So I want to welcome to the platform, Kiana Mitchell. You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. Thank you so much for having me, Lady C. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm very glad that you took this opportunity to be here to talk all about your experiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about how you became one of the Seventh-day Adventists? Yes, it's actually quite easy. I was actually born into it when I was, uh, my mom was Adventist before I was born. So when I was born, she automatically got me into the religion, going to church and all of that good stuff. And how long did you stay in? I stayed in for a long time. And it's because it was, I was there physically, but halfway into my mid-20s, I had left mentally a long time ago. So I physically left approximately two years ago. Wow. Now, in the Jehovah's Witness um, community, your actions with the Seventh-day Adventists would be considered a, a PEMO, a physically in, mentally out. So yeah. that's a new term that you could introduce to your, your community. <laughs> I like if it. If they're not already using it, there you go. You know? I love it. And so you said that you physically left two years ago? Yes, two years ago, I physically left. Wow. Now tell me this. What was the major crack or a few of the major cracks in your foundation when it comes to dealing with your belief system? Well, I'm not sure if I ever had a solid foundation, to be honest. I remember as a kid hearing different stories and having questions. So there were always cracks. I just didn't know how to identify them or how to verbally say what I was thinking because this is just the church I grew up in. And I thought that if I left, you know, bad things could happen to you. So there were always cracks. I just didn't know how to identify them or say them at that time. So as a kid, you always thought something wasn't right in this religion? Yes, that is correct. I remember feeling that everybody was just so judgmental. If you didn't do a certain thing, then you're going to go to hell. And you had to do everything by the exact rules. There is no leeway. It's like if you didn't do it this way, then you were destined for hell. And I've always felt that was judgmental. And another thing that used to get to me was like, how come only Adventists could go to heaven and people who went to church on Sunday would probably not go? So I always had problems with it. Can you give me an example of one of the things that when you got older that you noticed about the teachings in certain specific areas? Yes, it was one thing like when it came to clothes, when it came to jewelry, it was just such a big thing. I think it was just blown way out of proportion. It shouldn't have even been an issue. But I remember working after I graduated from college, I was working at a university that was at Venice and I was working in the financial aid office and they had a sign saying that before any student could be seen or told 
anything about their financial aid that they had to take off their jewelry if they were wearing it. And I always had a problem with that. Say what? You couldn't wear jewelry to get help with financial aid? No, that is true. Yes. And so whenever I was there, I kind of disregarded it because I felt odd. Like, well, how am I going to tell someone who's asking me how much money they're going to get back for a refund or inquiring about their financial aid because they're afraid it's not going to come in? How am I going to tell them, take your earrings off, take your rings and necklace off? I just always felt odd saying that. So I just didn't say it. And if someone else wanted to say it, that was on them. I just couldn't do it. It didn't make sense. Now, you know, it's interesting that we're talking about this jewelry. So I want to just kind of like talk about a little bit about the jewelry, because I remember hearing something about individuals that were Seventh-day Adventists and how they were not supposed to wear jewelry. So you're saying that at some point they changed this ruling where you could wear jewelry, but you just couldn't wear it in certain areas. Is that how that goes? Yeah, it's like the general conference gets to make the rules of what you can and cannot do. So I know when I was younger, they changed it where because at first you couldn't even have like a wedding band. But then they changed it and said that you could. And so that was a big taboo issue for a lot of people. And then recently, they never said you could wear jewelry as far as earrings, necklace or rings or anything else. That's not a wedding band. So people wear it. But then if they do anything in church or if they have to be upfront, whether they're sitting, making an announcement, they always take it off. Okay, but this wearing of jewelry, does this have anything to do with people not being able to be approved by God? It does. For some reason, they believe that if you wear jewelry or you have it, then you're putting that as an idol above God and that you shouldn't have it. And it has a lot to do with what Ellen G. White said when she talks about how you shouldn't wear jewelry. You should be plain and homely because that is how God intends for you to look. And that it is about what did she say? It was something where people, your insides should be right with God and you should be pure and holy and no one should be looking at the outside and you shouldn't try to beautify yourself. So oh my I think goodness. it has a lot to do with that. <laughs> that is so crazy. Now, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about her. The fact because she Ellen G. White is the founder of this religion. You want to give us a little bit of background and history about who she is? OK, so the religion basically started with um, William Miller. He was the person who I think is a Methodist pastor. He started it. But then after. They had their great disappointment of 1844 because they said several times Jesus was supposed to come. They tried to predict it, but he didn't come. And so a lot of people were disappointed because they uprooted their whole lives. They sold everything they had, thinking Jesus was going to come. So after that happened, William Miller had a vision, supposedly, and he said that Jesus went to the sanctuary of the in heaven and that he was there. And so after that, Ellen G. White came on board. She was one of the original members with what they used to call Millerites. And then she started having visions. And then that's how she landed a place of prominence in the Adventist church. Yeah, because that's where the Jehovah's Witnesses came from as well. From that same yeah. tree. The Millerites, they came from there. A lot you know? of people did. And they just split off in different directions. Absolutely. Because everybody was in that doomsday cult kind of thing. Because Jehovah's Witnesses, they had their dates in, 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 um, in mind as well. Like 1914 different dates like that and a, a lot of different things. The same thing with um, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. um, we have family members and people that we knew from way back in the day that gave up everything that they had because they yeah. thought the end of the world was going to come. So yes, we are like coming from the same background. Mm -hmm. What do you think about her as a woman in her time period being considered as a prophet? 
Well, it was odd because during that time period, women weren't allowed to do many things. And I find it strange because I have done some research on her and it says that a lot of other women, you would think she would have empowered women, but she didn't. She kind of kept it where men was in charge, except for her. And she kind of didn't do anything to help women during that time. Amazing. Yeah. I also read some information about something about her having seizures or something. Um, do you know if her family members were like like her parents, her siblings? Did they actually think that this woman was a prophet or did they just think that she was out of her mind? What are you what have you heard about that? It seems like everybody thought she was a prophet because when she was younger, she had an accident. A boy threw a stone and hit her in her nose and it broke her nose, but it also gave her many other health challenges like seizures and other things. And so she would um, have seizures. But I think the thing that made people think she was having visions because she would go into like a, a, almost like a comatose state, but it wasn't. And she'd be looking off in the space. And then when she came out of it, she would tell people that she saw God and he told her certain things. And it's in hindsight, knowing with everything that we know now, you kind of wonder what she having to see to during that time. They just mistook it for a vision. But during that time, they would swear by it that she was having a vision from God and he was telling her things. Amazing. And then and then to this day, people are going strong in this religion. Do you know how many Seventh-day Adventists there are today? There are millions of them worldwide and people are going strong. Now, I do have to say that there is a lot of controversy about LNG White now that people are starting to bring up because some people who are Adventists don't feel as if we, people should put as much stock into what she said considering all of the things and at some at one point she was even accused of plagiarism and a whole bunch of things. So a lot of people don't think that a whole bunch of stock should be put into what she said. But then you have the other people who think that she was next to God and that you should listen to what she said and that she was a prophet. So this is a contentious point <laughs> within the church because some people believe it, other people are like, I, I don't know about this. So that's the point of debate. Well, you know, I can only imagine how many people are no doubt waking up in the Seventh-day Adventist religion, just like Jehovah's Witnesses, because you've got the Internet and people are online. They're talking about these things. You know, people realize that a lot of these teachings are not biblical. They don't make any sense. Right. And it's very, very difficult to you know, follow these crazy teachings after being enlightened and being able to use what we call critical thinking. You know, That's true. So what about some of the teachings that you want to kind of talk about? Are there is there any specific teachings that you can share with my audience to talk about, you know, that doesn't make much sense to you looking back on it? Yes, the whole the one that I can think about the most is called was called investigative judgment. And that just said that Jesus was in the sanctuary in heaven and that. He was judging everybody in the world. He was going over names to decide whether they were going to go to heaven or whether they were going to go to hell. And that he's there now. And when he's finished, he'll come back and save everybody. And then once it is decided that he judged everybody in the world, then it will be done. And it never made sense to me because I was like, people are being born like every minute. How is he doing this? And what if someone said they're sorry? How is he going to go back and judge whether someone said they were sorry and take that out of the book and put your name back in? It just seemed impractical. And from what I have been reading, it just it says that God already knows. If God knows if you're saved already, then why is he going back and forth if he's God? It just didn't make sense to me. It honestly didn't. Sound like a bunch of micromanaging to me. <laughs> it really did, <laughs> yes. I mean, how can you really 
really deal with that and live with that. I mean, I remember being a Jehovah's Witness and every day we woke up, it was about knocking on doors and recruiting people. Of course, we don't use that term recruiting, but we talked about if you really love people, Jehovah is not going to um, think highly of you if you're not speaking about him at every given moment. Not every given moment, but you know, how do you, turn, how do you turn that off? The thought process of always talking about God. You know, that's why Jehovah's Witnesses have a, a, a reputation for every time they show up, they're preaching, right? So mm-hmm. in your in your religion, it's it's a similar thing where you're where you're in, yeah. in another in another vein, you're like saying you're always wondering whether or not you're going to be cut off because of this investigative judgment. How did you feel about that? When I was younger, it used to make me upset because I was like, well, how am I supposed to do all of these things? Because it was presented to me like, okay, so if I do something wrong, if I told a lie, then God would take my name out of the book. If I said I was sorry, he put it back in. So my whole life was just like trying to do the right thing, like walking on egg on eggshells because you're just like, how am I supposed to do all of these things? So it was stressful. Like it really was. And it wasn't until later on in life where I realized, okay, this just doesn't seem to be what I've been reading, that I stopped. But during that time, it was stressful. And at one point, I was just like, well, you know, if I'm going to go to hell, I might as well have fun, because this is not fun. So it was stressful and impractical to try to do. Well, let me ask you this. I know in the Jehovah's Witness religion, they have a lot of tattletales. People will turn you into the elders if they see you doing something wrong and you're not measuring up. How about the Seventh-day Adventists? Did they have anything like that? I wouldn't call it tattletales. It's just like one of those people, like if you're out and somebody see you, quote unquote, doing what you're not supposed to be doing, then of course they would look down at you and they'd be like, oh, it'd be more like gossip. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would be more like gossip. Oh, I saw sister so-and-so out there doing such and such and such and such. She knows she's not supposed to be doing that. It was more of that kind of thing. And that's what's turning people in, even though it's hilarious because in hindsight, you're like, well, that's not right either. <laughs> But it was more gossip than anything. Well, well, see, in the Jehovah's Witness religion, they had the same thing. They had the gossipers. Yes. But I'm talking about people who weren't doing the right thing in terms of the rules and regulations. Like, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses do not celebrate holidays. And if you celebrate the holidays, you can be excommunicated as a Jehovah's Witness. And they call it disfellowshipping. So I don't know if you had anything going on in your church that would require someone or someone would end up getting disfellowshipped or excommunicated for breaking one of the cardinal rules. The only thing I could think of where they would, um, what would they call this fellowship people is if someone got pregnant or someone had an affair with somebody. But for the most part, it wasn't like they would do that about small things. It was just like big things, like things that they considered to be big things like that. And then you could get back in if you just got baptized again and took like Bible lessons or Bible studies. I see. So they did have something like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That that makes a little sense because there's because they're a high control group as well. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Seventh-day Adventists. Um, have you been to other Seventh-day Adventist churches in different areas and visited to see if they all are run the same way? Oh, I can tell you. I have been to other different churches. I've visited many different churches in different states. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, they're all run the same way because they have the general conference, which runs every church, even worldwide churches. So a church in Africa will be doing the same thing as a church over here because they're all run by the same people. Okay. Just like the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Okay. So if um, so, do they um? So I'm, I'm assuming that if 
there's going to be a change to a church doctrine or mandates and things, yeah. they will send it from the main general council. Yeah, and then they would all vote on it and agree on it, and then they'll decide if it's okay for you to do or not do. Okay. So, and we call them the governing body in Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> That's pretty much what they are. We just call it general conference, but <laughs> same thing. Wow. Well, let's talk about one more thing in this religion, and that would be the diet, the dietary restrictions. What? Because I understand that they have these different types of things that they, you know, tell people that they cannot indulge in. So, you want to kind of share that with our audience? Yes. Now, it used to be more strict. I'm just going to tell you that. I remember when I was a kid, there were things I couldn't eat, like sugar. I could only eat like fruits and vegetables. My mom was a strict vegetarian, to be, to be honest, and she would be like, you can't do this, you can't eat that. And they even had something back in the day where you couldn't eat fruits and vegetables together because they thought it would ferment in your stomach and take a long time to digest and make you sick. It was just a whole bunch of foolishness, stuff like that. And so now they still have pretty much the same rules. And if you meet an Adventist, they'll probably tell you about being a vegetarian and the health benefits and all that kind of stuff. But um, if you don't do it, there's really no one to tell on you. They actually have a lot of Adventists now who are eating meat and everything. So it's not as strict as it used to be, but people still look, the people who are like old school still look down on it. Well, you know what? My question is, because you were talking about this investigative judgment, I just wanted to know, how does that affect the dietary restrictions? Or does that play, come into play as well? I don't think the investigative judgment affects the dietary restrictions. I think that's a whole Ellen G. White thing because she thought that people had to eat a certain way. And the whole thing with Ellen G. White and what the church believed is that, yeah, you're saved by faith, but you have to work daily to prove your worth. And so you prove it by the way you eat, like you said, by the way you talk. You're not supposed to have too many jokes, even though a lot of people don't listen to that. But it's just like you're trying to prove that you are worthy every single day. So whether you're eating something you're not supposed to eat. And they also go by in the Old Testament where it talks about clean and unclean. They go off of that. So they do believe there are certain foods that are clean and unclean. And even people who eat meat they won't eat like pork or anything that's scavenger, less like a scavenger type animal. They won't eat shrimp or things like that really? because of that. Yeah. Well, you know, cause it's interesting because like Jehovah's witnesses, um, I saw, you know, that the seventh day Adventist, you don't believe in smoking. Right. Right. Okay. So in the Jehovah's witness faith, this is a forbidden practice. So just like you, you when you were talking about your investigative um, judgment, Mm-hmm. The Jehovah's Witness would consider that smoking to be an investigative judgment that would have something to do with you not, you know, making right. it into heaven or living on their paradise earth. So it seems like in that arena of the religion, you guys don't seem to have as much um, pressure as the Jehovah's Witnesses would have. I agree. I agree with that because even though it is a rule that people are not supposed to smoke, you're not supposed to do anything, and that's part of what they have you say whenever you get baptized about you're not going to drink, you're going to do all the health practices or whatever. But at the same time, if someone does it, they mostly hide it, so no one really knows about it. And if anyone finds out, they'll just talk about them. But for the most part, it's not something that they'll get kicked out of church for. A pastor will probably come to your house. Hey, I heard you were smoking, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, I don't think oh you get goodness. kicked out for that. <laughs> so they give you a little bit of a reprieve over here where they're really, you know, into it over there. It's right. kind of like 
you know, six in one hand, half a dozen in another, because you still got all these other things that you're looking at. Yeah. Now, what about your own personal life? What was it like? Um, what were some of the things that you can remember that you were unable to do that kind of like, you know, put a damper on your on your day? Well, for me, it was listening to only certain types of Christian music. You can't listen to anything, what they call secular music, which is just like regular pop music that people listen to today. You couldn't listen to anything secular. You could only listen to Christian music. We didn't have Christmas because that was wrong. We also, I also couldn't wear pants, which annoyed me because I was the only kid running around in culottes or skirts during gym. But, you know, we couldn't wear jewelry. You couldn't dance, things like that. There's a lot of restrictive things you can do. Oh, you couldn't go to the movies either. Oh my goodness, what was the deal with the movies? Because it was a really ridiculous reason. Most people say you couldn't go to the movies because Ellen G. White wrote in one of her books, you shouldn't go to the movies because they sold alcoholic beverages there. And I was always like, are you drinking? Like, why would that matter? But they wouldn't go to the movies, but they would rent everything that came out on DVDs, but they just refused to go to the movies. So what you're telling me is it had nothing to do with the movie itself. It's what's the activities of what was going on after you got there. Yes. But keep in mind, when she wrote this, it was like the early 1900s or the late. It was either the early 1900s or the middle of the 1800s. So things changed like it wasn't even the same environment at this point, but they were still using it like it was law. And I remember at one point. She, Ellen G. White also said in her book, you shouldn't buy a bike. You know, I was just like, a bike? What? Uh, so that, this, that just shows you how outdated a lot of this stuff is. Now, I like what you said. You said it's outdated. Now, it's interesting how if this came from God, there's no such thing as being outdated. Because exactly. When the Bible was written, there's a lot of modern conveniences of stuff that wouldn't even be here. And I look at it like this. If God gave me a brain, and he's allowing me to use it. Why is he punishing me for coming up with things that are modern? Exactly. And, and you know, the Amish fall into this category oh, yes. because they still live in like the 1800s and things like that, where they don't use modern conveniences. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that affect the Seventh-day Adventist? Well, it's like they use modern conveniences, but they always try to make sure they're using it like for God. So any music they have, they try to make it all Christian. No one can sing anything else except Christian music. Um, if any kind of medical thing, they, there are a lot of Adventist medical hospitals. So they do use technology, but it's toward medical science and trying to help, you know, live a better life by doing God's principles. They even have different places where it's all medical missionary stuff where people are just trying to help you be healthy by the diet that Ellen G. White gave. So it's a lot of stuff like that. So they do use science. That's one thing they do use is a lot of technology. But I think their understanding of technology is just, I think it's just weird. I see. What about education? You know, Jehovah's Witnesses, even though they don't really say and they flip flop back and forth about whether they should tell us to go to school. But we do know that the founding father didn't think much of education. And so even to, to, to this day, Jehovah's Witnesses are the lowest on the totem pole, religiously speaking, that, are, that do not graduate from college. How about the Seventh-day Adventists? What is, what is that like in your religion? It's actually the opposite. Everyone's encouraged to go get an education. 
and they even have different schools. They have universities, but it's like at each university, you do get an education, but it's almost like you're being indoctrinated to continue your beliefs. So they get you when you're in first grade all the way through college. So if you do that and you tell your kid the same thing over and over and over and indoctrinate these religious practices into them, you just pretty much have an indoctrinated person. So school is what they do. It's kind of like they look down on people who don't have an education, which is wrong too, but they do encourage school, but it's just like the whole indoctrination process because regardless of what you choose your major in their schools when you go to college, religion is always taught heavily. Amazing. Now, Kiana has a podcast called Finding God. And I got a chance to listen to a lot of her interviews. And it was really interesting listening to other people talk about their faith and waking up and everything. Kiana, will you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast so we can kind of understand what that's all about? Yes, my Finding God podcast came with my whole awakening like, oh, so God just wants my heart. He doesn't care about the rules. He doesn't care about the regulations. He just wants me to have a relationship with him. And so once I figured that out, I wanted to tell other people about it as well. And the best way that I could think to tell people about it was through a podcast. So on my podcast, I just have people who come on and they talk about the moment that they realize God just wants their heart and that he wants to have a relationship with them and that they love him. And it's amazing to hear how many people, regardless of their religion, have been taught different things about God that was not true. So it's awesome. I love to hear their different stories about how everyone came to find God for who they, for who he is and for what he means to them. That is amazing. So it just goes to show for people in my community that there's a lot of people that's waking up to these different religious belief systems. Um, the sad thing about it in our community is once you decide that you do not want to follow the Jehovah's Witness teachings anymore, they will shun you. And if you have family members that decide to stay, then you lose that family and any friends that you have made along the way. So it really is very, very devastating. How about you? How, what, what are you feeling after you woke up to your religion? What kind of relationships have you lost? Well, to be honest, I it's hard to explain because my family members, they were always there. So that wasn't an issue. But like people, I realized that there are certain friends that I had in church where that's all we had in common. So it made me wake up to who my friends really were. Because a lot of people I was around, I realized that, oh, we just had church in common and that's all we talked about. But I didn't realize it at the time because I was just so into it. But once you step away, you're just like, oh, okay. So yeah, those friendships have gone down. But I think it's mostly on my part because I don't really have anything to say to them and they just want to try to get me to come back. <laughs> so, you know, with those two things competing against it, each other. Yeah, the friendships have gone down a lot, but I'm fine with that. And I'm OK. So how have you made new friends since you left? What, how did you, um, you know, like bounce back into your into your own zone after realizing that? Well, I bounced back because I've had friends who were in church and I had friends who were not in church. 
So the friends I lost that were in church, I still had the friends who were not in church. Then being in podcasting and talking to a lot of people and being able to do a lot of networking, I have made amazing connections. And the great thing about it, there are people who are like-minded. Whether we think the same about relationship with God or whether we think the same about business, we are like-minded individuals. So for me, it's been a whole growing process, but I think that I'm a better person because of it, because I think before I was stuck and I didn't realize it. And there's nothing worse than being stuck into something that you don't realize that you're stuck in. But it wasn't until I got a chance to detox from the whole religion, stop going to church, just like take a minute to think. And I got a lot of clarity. So it's been amazing for me. I've enjoyed this process. I honestly have. I think that's awesome. I think your experience is really good. I think your attitude about it is excellent. I think that because when you were growing up, you realized that something wasn't right, that you kept it moving. You kept your mind you know, forming and shaping and looking at things. I think you and I had a conversation before about some things that you did not feel was, was something that we had a conversation before about some things you had questions about growing up. How did you handle this, these things with your mother? What kind of things did you do to express your um, obstinance or whatever towards what she was teaching you? Well, the great thing about my mom, I would have to say, is she differed from a lot of parents in this religion. Um, she would listen to me. I could talk to her. I could tell her things didn't make sense. And even if she tried to explain, I'm like, mom, still not making sense. She gave me the freedom to express my concern, my likes and my dislikes. Now, of course, I didn't always get my way. But when I talked to her and she realized, OK, Kiana might have a point here, she would listen. I remember one experience where it had to do with Christian music. And the funny thing is, I just wanted to listen to Christian music because that's what I actually liked. But she would only let me listen to like quartets and music that was not good. Because it had no beats, no drums, nothing. So I remember sitting down and writing an essay for her. And I did research on the um, origins of Christian music, blues, and all the music she said I couldn't listen to. And come to find out, they all had similar origins. And it was used from back in slavery where they would tell people where they were. So once she realized that they all had the same origin and that is what was being said and not the music, then she, was, she did let me listen to a lot of contemporary gospel music. But she did listen. And so that helped out a lot. Well, that's really good. Now, I know that would not fly in the Jehovah's Witness arena because you would just be told that you got to just get to the Kingdom Hall, listen to what they're saying. And of course, they would call the elders in to try to revamp your thinking and all that kind of crazy stuff. And people would begin to look at you funny and better not hang out with this person because they're spiritually weak. All that kind of stuff would be going on as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, question for you. Do Mm -hmm. you think that if you had a father in the home who was a leader in the Seventh-day Adventist, do you think that those essays would have, flo- would have flown for the father? What do you think would that would have happened with your father? I don't think it would have because guys, once they get something in their head, they're like stuck on it. And I don't know if I should say thank God or be happy about it. But my dad was not. He had he, he was an Adventist at one point because he did become one to marry my mom. But then after that. He just decided not to be one. So he never went to church. I never remember him going to church and doing anything like that. And then when I got to be 10 years old, he just left. So he wasn't there. So that had nothing to do with our influence. But I think if he was there, if he was like actually in the church, it would have been different. But I think if he was there when I got older and he wasn't in the church, you know, I don't think it would have been an issue. I probably wouldn't have even had to write my essay because he probably would have let me listen to what I wanted. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I, I think that male presence makes a big difference when you're growing up in a religious household because yes. myself, my father was not a witness growing up. He became a Jehovah's Witness years later. But when these men are trying to attain these positions and titles in the organizations that they belong to, it becomes a situation where I got to get my family in line yeah. with this so that people can see that I am a, have the ability to lead in the church. And so a lot of times you will get the, the pushback when the man says, no, you're not doing that. Right. You know, but let me ask you this. Um, when we talked before, you talked about tithing. And what was that like in the Seventh-day Adventist religion? So in the Seventh-day Adventist religion, they believe that you have to give a 10% of everything you earn. And if you don't, then God is not going to bless you and you're not going to have money to do different things. And it's so bad until if anyone has any financial struggles, the first thing they ask, are you paying your tithe? So that is what they believe. And they believe that even if you don't have the money to pay your tithe, you should somehow still come up with it and God will bless you then. But he won't bless you if you don't pay it. So you want to give us an example of something that happened in your family that that came up and how you yeah. handled it? <laughs> yes, I remember there was a time when because um, my mom was a single mom when I was a t probably from my mid-teens. And so she was like, well, we have to pay the utility bills. Should I pay it? Because if I do, I won't have money to pay tithe. And I said, Mom, I think you should pay the utility bill because God gave you the money to pay that. I said, if he had wanted you to pay tithe, he would have given you extra. She's like, well, I should probably trust him. I said, yes, trust that he gave you the money and pay the utility bills. Mm -hmm. And so she did because we voted that she should. But yeah, it was like that. And then how did that affect you after that? When you realized that you paid the electricity bill, utility bill with this money, and then God didn't somehow judge you otherwise, how did that affect you? Oh, then I just said, okay, so it just made me believe more of what I've always believed because even when I was younger, I didn't think God would curse me if I didn't pay tithe. And when that happened and nothing bad happened to me and we still got the money we needed, then it just let me know that it wasn't about paying the money, that God loved us regardless of whether we did it or not. It just made me believe more strongly in what I had always thought. You know, I always thought it was interesting about people who paid tithes because it was like you had this man in his church and he's collecting all this money from these people. And I used to work with this lady on my job and she had two small children and she could not afford a car. But the money that she would have been driving around in her car to take care of her own business, she was giving that money to the church. And I'm like, doesn't your church realize that you need a car? And she mm -hmm. said, she said, yes, but God needs this money more than I do. And so it, that, that, because Jehovah's Witnesses don't pay tithes, you know, that just never made, that never set right with me. I could never get into that, you know? So, wow. you know, that, that's just amazing how you, you have these people who don't have anything and yet, they're giving this money right off the bat to their preachers and they don't even have enough money to take care of themselves. Did you no. see a lot of people? In, did you see a lot of people struggling like that? I did. And they call it sacrificial giving. They're like, well, you shouldn't buy this. God will help you find something cheaper or give your money to build a school. Or even recently I heard something. It was a radio station I was listening to and they happened to be a religious based radio station. They were doing their their fall drive and they even said something like they even did a statistic saying people who give usually have lower incomes but God blesses them regardless so this is your chance to show God 
how much you trust him by giving to their drive. I was like, that is ridiculous. But people still believe it. People still say it. It's amazing. What did you realize during COVID-19? I think we had this discussion about when you were waking up and realizing about, you know, the blessings that you were getting, despite the fact that you weren't going to church. What was that like? Well, it just meant because you know how people always tell you, and I think this goes for religion across the board, that if you don't go to church, God's not going to bless you and that you can go to hell. You're taking yourself out of God's will. But during the whole coronavirus, I realized that was not true because I wasn't going to church. God was still blessing me. I haven't paid my tithe in years. God was still blessing me. And it just showed me how wrong people can be about always trying to put a relationship with God on a religion and make telling you you have to do a certain thing or be in a certain location or pay a certain amount of money. Like it just made me realize how ridiculous it was. It was almost laughable. You know, once I was out of the situation, you look back, you're like, wow, why would I even think that? It was one of those aha moments for me. That is awesome. I really enjoyed talking to you about your experiences. Do you have anything, any closing remarks that you would like to make about your experiences in your religion? Yes. The only thing I want to say is that um, sometimes it's hard for people to see things when they're actually in the situation. So that's why I think it's great for everyone to take maybe a little break from their church or whatever it is, just to have time to sit back and think. Because like the show is about, we're supposed to be critical thinkers. And sometimes it's hard to think when people are constantly just feeding you information. So sometimes it's good just to take a step back, let things go, and then think for yourself and then decide if that's something you actually want to do or if something you were being pressured to do. I totally agree because when we first left our church, our religion, the kingdom hall, people told us, what are you doing now? But nobody gave you a chance to think about what it is that you were into. And so these are the kind of things that we always encourage people to do. We never tell people what to do, where to go and how to worship, but we respect your decision to be a critical thinker and to do whatever you want. And we get emails from people all the time expressing, you know, their um, appreciation for our program. And we just continue to put out information, helping people to be critical thinkers. So Kiana, I want to thank you so much for being on the program and sharing your experience. Thank you so much, Lady C, for giving me an opportunity to come on your show. I was really happy to be here. You are so welcome. And I look forward to seeing my audience in the next episode. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers. And if you want to tune in to Kiana W. Mitchell's podcast, Finding God, be sure to check the show notes or the description in the video.